Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. Oh, my kitty Wookie has also made an appearance, my little feline assistant here, if you can see him. Um, I'm so excited to have with me today as my guest, Wendy Adamson. Wendy is a mental health professional who has spent over 25 years serving individuals struggling with addiction and mental health disorders. In that time, she's provided counseling, facilitated groups, done interventions, crisis management, and executed treatment planning, which has helped countless individuals. Wendy also has multiple articles in the Huffington Post and two published memoirs, Motherload and Incorrigible, where she shares her own struggles with addiction and her ultimate recovery, which led to the profound healing within herself and her family. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm just so honored that I'm a guest of yours. Thank you. Thank you. I always like to ask my guest in the beginning, especially, um, to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today doing the work that you're doing. Well, I think that, um, you know, I would, I have a lot of experience, my own experience, like I do work in um, addiction and, and mental health. And I had my own experience uh, with a mother that was schizophrenic, first of all. And, um, you know, back when I was growing up in the 50s, uh, it was, you know, there was a lot more stigma. There is a lot of stigma around mental illness today. But back then, it was like my father's solution was to swear the family into secrecy. You know, don't tell anybody. Don't tell your friends. Don't tell, you know, the nuns at, you know, so it was like, and you know, with secrecy comes a lot of suffering, you know, and and in, in unexpressed, um, you know, uh, fear, anxiety, just the gambit. And all through my developmental years, um, growing up in the first seven years, she was constantly trying to kill herself. So it was in fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and um, she succeeded killing herself when I was seven. And when I found out the details of of which would be later as a teenager, um, I said it would never ever be like my mother, you know, but I think that when you swear, you'll never, never be like your mother. It's like giving the universe the exact coordinates to where you're later gonna land. Um, my inability to forgive her, my inability to let go of my resentments, pretty much uh, carved a course for my life as I walked in her footsteps as I ended up in the same institution she had been in. Uh, she had a psychotic break when she was 38 and killed herself, um, you know, and I had a psychotic break, drug-induced psychotic break at 38. And it's like um, I ended up in, the, in jail with domestic violence, you know, um, I caught my husband cheating on me. 
So it was, you know, it's a, it's a crazy story. I do have a crazy story and it's good content for memoirs. I've got many lives I've lived. And so, um, however, you know, that wasn't the plan. I wasn't planning on writing when I was experiencing all this. I was deeply wounded, deeply hurt, and, um, you know, did not how to get, know how to get out of the cycle of addiction. You know, um, I think the only language I spoke as an, act, um, as an active uh, addict or alcoholic was victimese, you know, and um, so I, I blamed everybody, but it, that's very disempowering to, to blame my mother, blame my father, and now I was blaming my ex-husband at the time, my husband, but, um, you know, and it just, like, I, there I was in county jail, and, like, you know, how did I get here? Like, what happened? Where did my life get so far off track from that little girl that, you know, wanted to make a difference in the world? And thus, you know, that started uh, my second chance, if you will. It was, like, my second chance, I and there was a lot of damage, like with my own two sons, you know, as there is with addiction and alcoholism. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, repair that needed to be done. And I knew that, you know, I mean, I wanted it to happen immediately, but I knew that, you know, it, it would, I mean, I knew it would take time, you know, I knew it, I had, and it wasn't just about this time saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for what I've done. It was about changing my behavior, which would, which for me was a lot of effort and time and, you know, making a lot of mistakes along the way. But at early on in my sobriety, um, I got sober in um, 93, early on in my sobriety, I found that, you know, I had unique experience. I had, you know, um, unique experience that possibly could help somebody else. So um, I got a job as a drug and alcohol counselor. And it's, you know, where I started to see like, you know, people, I was working in a medical detox and I started to see that everybody that sat across from me at my desk, uh, I, you know, could share my experience with, you know, and how, you know, and, and I think that that immediately connected me to them. And it felt like everything I had been through had value. It was like requalified. I was using it as a tool to help somebody instead of hiding it as a secret, like what I had learned, you know? Right. And so um, that has, you know, that, kind of changing the perception of like, are, are changing like uh, from the language of victimese and like, how can I serve? You know, how can I serve? Is like more my question today is like, how can I use this? I think that everything, that nothing has to be wasted. It can all be used as long as I'm willing to share. If I'm, if I'm hiding it, then it's like, I'm not using it. No. In fact, you're de depriving the world and you're depriving people of information that might actually be the thing they need to hear to change their own life. Right. Yeah. We've, we've really come a long way with this. Yeah. No, I just wanted to say like, we've come such a long way with this because 
I mean, I remember being a kid in the 70s and what how stigmatized mental health still was back then. And and if you went to a therapist or something, the head shrink, it meant something was really wrong with you and you were totally crazy. I've only really seen in the last maybe 10, 15 years, like a, a real movement toward destigmatization of mental health treatment. Yeah, I, I I don't remember ever hearing the word trauma, you know, growing up. It was like, then I, I do remember hearing some talk about PTSD when it came to soldiers in the Vietnam War coming home. Oh, they have shell shock, they have PTSD. But it's like, for kids, you know, they're resilient, they'll get over it, just like, you know, it's like, it was like, but, you know, but to top it off, the secrecy around it um, really made my, me and my siblings shut down. And, you know, we all dealt with it in our different ways, but it's none of it good. Not, none of us really handled it well. And it wasn't until right. I got sober that I actually experienced the grief that I never processed as a kid, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, being sober, being present, finding kind of um, a spiritual, you know, expanding my spiritual world really helped with that. Yes, yes. Um, and rewriting your story, as you said, you know, from being a victim to being a survivor, maybe even a thriver, you know, of life. I think that's huge. And a big part of the work is, you know, I work in addiction treatment as well. And um, moving people out of that story of victimhood where, where there are core beliefs, you know, like our friend TJ Woodward likes to call them core false beliefs about, you know, that we come to believe about ourselves. Like there's something fundamentally wrong with me. I am broken. I am defective in some way. And I have to hide that because I can't let other people see how broken I am or else they won't they'll reject me, they'll judge me. And so, yeah, living in, in, in secret. And, and as they say in AA, you know, you're only as sick as your secrets. That holding in of all of that um, creates this toxic shame that erodes away at people and usually it just ends up keeping them stuck in an addictive pattern. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I'm reading and I'm going to just like give her a plug. Melissa Phoebos's uh, book, Body Work, you know, about mm. writing and um, the therapeutic value of writing. And she talks about, you know, the stigma of victimhood as being an oppressive power to gaslight people, you know, like, so as far as like, you know, all of the people, all of the women that came forth in the Me Too movement, you know, uh, to oppress them, to keep it a secret because they're being dramatic, whining, attention grabbing, or beating a dead horse. And, and by convincing um, someone that, you know, their story, you know, uh, it's, a, it's, um, it's more disempowerment. It continues to disempower them. But to stand, you know, and speak your truth is empowering. You know, it's like, yeah. I always felt like I was pulling a chameleon, pulling, pulling uh, personalities out of a Rolodex you know, and being this for one person, being that for another. But, you know, it's like when I wrote my book, um, my first book, Motherload, it was um, so, you know, it was so scary. And I actually felt like I was breaking free from that contract with my family 
to keep secrets. Like I'm, you know, I had done it on other levels, but coming out publicly, it was like almost like getting naked in the world. And I had no control of the narrative and a lot of shame came up and I was surprised because, you know, I had a lot of time sober. I had done a lot of uh, therapy or, or done a lot of work on myself. And I was shocked how, you know, it, it, it literally, I opened the mother load of shame, but what happened in writing it and putting it out there in the world, it was like, you know, and getting through the first, you know, first wave, the shame no longer owned me. It no longer owned me. And I realized how that kind of shame keeps us small, it keeps us in our box and afraid to take risks, you know? And it's like, because I, I was always afraid to take a risk. I was always afraid to show my first writing a bad draft because I might be judged. Oh, what, you know, I felt like I had that fraud syndrome, like, you know, uh, what do I've got to say? But, you know, working mm -hmm. in this field was kind of like, an, in hindsight, I can see it was training ground for me um, to learn how to use my experience as a tool. And I, you know, I, I remember this one time, um, you know, I think recovery is recovering aspects of ourselves and selves that we have abandoned, you know, parts of ourselves that we have abandoned. And when I, I went to juvenile hall and um, talked to girls, I used to go there a lot, I used to go a lot when I first got sober. And it was this moment where I was talking to them about my experience in the same juvenile hall that I had been in as a kid. Because as a kid, I was, I was labeled incorrigible you know, which by the way, by definition means beyond reform, you know, and they still call teenagers that today in court systems, they call them incorrigible, beyond reform or un unrepairable. So, you know, but when I stood there talking to those girls, it felt like opening up a portal, if you will, and like to the girl that I abandoned at 14, to the girl I left behind at 15. Every time I drank, every time I used, every time I, I got into a toxic relation and, and became the incredible shrinking woman, you know, mm -hmm. it was like, it was like recovery. It was like recovery 101. I'm by being of service to somebody else, I am recovering parts of myself, you know? Yes. yes. And if we were to use a, like maybe more like a more spiritual perspective on that, like the shamans would call that a soul retrieval, right? Yeah. That in life, you know, we leave bits and pieces of ourselves in, in, in a or abandon ourselves in, in these different ways. And I think any kind of, whether it's recovery, you know, from addiction or just working on yourself in general, there can be this aspect of retrieval, reclaiming, or, or owning parts that you never even allowed yourself to even be like the, the Jung's idea of the golden shadow, which is something like not a lot of people are familiar with. You know, when we talk about shadow, it's usually like all the negative stuff. Like we, we hide the stuff we hide, you know, the, the shame, the secrets, the um, things we did that we're not proud of. Um, our belief systems, you know, about ourselves, whatever is, is what they would say we put in the shadow. But the other things we put in the shadow are also sometimes our strengths, 
our gifts and talents, um, the things that actually make us shine. And, and they call that the golden shadow because we hide those things as well because we don't want other people to feel bad that we're good at something or we don't want to be too much in the spotlight because then we might get judged or rejected. And how many people have suppressed all of that as well? I wonder if that, if you discovered that also in your process. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I've never heard of the golden shadow. I like that because I, I did a lot of shadow work um, you know, uh, which was very um, insightful and helped me integrate aspects of myself as well. Um, but I've never heard that before the golden shadow. But yeah, I was, um, I was afraid of being too much. You know, it's just, I'm, I'm too much because I felt like, you know, my energy, my spirit, or, you know, whatever, the way I was beyond my personality was, was too much, you know, and um, so turn it down, you know, turn it down. And that's like, yeah, get, you know, turn it down. Um, and, uh, but, um, you know, it's like, I, the, how often we prescribe somebody else's narrative about ourselves, you know, whether it be in the school system, whether it be in the media or social media today, you know, we have, we, we're, these things are implied that we're supposed to be a certain way. And I mean, I think that's why a lot of um, teens are questioning gender because they're, they're questioning because who says that we're supposed to be this way? You know, I was, right. you know, a little bit of a tomboy when I was a kid and, you know, supposed to be more girly and stuff, but, you know, I enjoyed climbing trees and stuff. But I, so I, I, you know, I, I adopted narratives about my life and, um, you know, I think that uh, fear, you know, controlled me, you know, the fear that the, I adopted through my father or from school or it controlled me. And um, yeah, but being too much of the golden shadow, like you said, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, taking risks, like, you know, it, like making mistakes. I was so afraid to make mistakes that mm -hmm. that kept me small as well, you know, mm -hmm. but, but writing uh, has taught me, you know, and, and at first I found a very, um, I found a, a safe women's group, writing women's group, and uh, where I felt safe, where there were strong boundaries by the facilitator. And um, I started, you know, uh, taking risks, you know, putting myself out there. And I found, you know, that it, it was well received and, and I felt supportive, even if it wasn't perfect, you know. And so that, that gave me the courage to keep going, well, you know, because, I mean, uh, I actually mother load, I, I told TJ this too, the, the book was, I was doing a meditation intensive at Agape, um, you know, down here in, uh, in LA. And um, during meditation, I had what I would call, for lack of a better word, a download, meaning I knew like I was supposed to write my book. I knew the arc. I knew, I knew that it was meant to help people, you know, and I, I knew that was part of why I was here, part of my purpose. And part of the reason I went through everything that I did, 
I tried to ignore that voice or that, that download, whatever you want to call it. I tried to ignore it for 10 years. I talked about it. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. I mean, I got so sick of hearing myself say it that I, I go, either you're going to write the book or you're going to stop talking about it. That was 10 years to get there, you know? Yeah. And, and that's when I found that safe women's group that was so beneficial, so therapeutic in nature. Yeah. 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 I was going to ask you, um, I mean, the, the, the process of writing a memoir, I mean, I've, I've known people who've gone through this and, and how powerful it is. Like people don't, I think, realize until they get into it, like how deep and, and profound it is to revisit your own life's experiences and sometimes look at it through a different lens for the first time. Um, difficult, but also incredibly rewarding is the general sense that I have. Well, it is. I mean, it's, it's difficult to get, you know, you're like looking under the hood, you know, and um, it's like, you're going back to the scene of the crime and, you know, where I may have disassociated, where I might've used drugs or find, found food, whatever to check out. But, but in the writing, I'm there, I am being present. It's my memory, yes, it's my memory, but it's like, I kept hitting walls, you know? Uh, my brother was, my older brother <clears throat> was also schizophrenic <clears throat> and, um, you know, he could get violent. So um, my sister and I used to sleep with a chair propped up against our door, afraid that he'd come and chop us to bits. So as I was writing a chapter about him, I really felt sick to my stomach. You know, I felt very sick to my stomach and I'd have to get up, go for a walk and clear the energy and come back, you know, or maybe come back to it the next day. But I kept hitting blocks, you know, like, you know, blocks. And it was, just, I, you know, I can't do this. It's like, I can't do this. And in, you know, I would, you know, call in the universe to do it through me. If, you know, if I'm supposed to do it, do it through me. Cause I just feel like I can't do it. You know, it was just, I had to continue to get myself out of the way. I had to continue. And what, ha what helped me was knowing who I wanted to reach. Okay. So mm -hmm. I, I knew that like, meaning, I mean, there was a lot of people I wanted to reach. I wanted to reach mothers. I wanted to reach fathers or children that are angry with their parents um, over addiction because it's a it's ultimately a story about healing it's all and and it's a story about hope and I think it's a it's a message worth telling right now is that you know in spite of the mistakes you've made you can heal the family system it takes one person to wake up and I've been waking up one eyelash at a time it seems like, but I was committed to, you know, changing the trajectory of mental illness and addiction to one of healing. That became my, yeah. that became my intention. But when I was writing the book, I go, I want to, I want, I wonder, you know, what it would have felt like if some woman in jail would have had a book like mine. I wonder what it, some girl in, in, in juvenile hall, you know, would it make a difference in their life if they had a message of hope? So I thought about them. I thought about them. I envisioned them. 
And it was interesting because a few months after the book was out, somebody read it and said to me, your book can help women that are locked up. I said, I know, I know that's why, why I wrote it. And she goes, well, I wanna donate 30 books to, for you to get into jail. So, you know, I, I was just more validation. The universe is, is telling me I'm on the right track, but I, it's not that easy getting things in there. You know, you can't just drop off books. But I happen to know, have a friend that works as supervisor's office in LA. So she goes, bring them to me. I'll get them in there. You know, and she bypassed it all. She had read the book by then. And she says, it's a good book for them. It's very filled with hope. So it was like sitting at my computer, having that desire to want to reach people that were incarcerated. I couldn't figure that out. All I had to do was like do the next indicated step and let go of the results. And, you know, it's something bigger than me figured it out. Yes, very much. It sounds like consciousness was really working through you. Yeah. 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 Um, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, here about the transformative and healing power of writing and writing memoir. I'm curious what other modalities or approaches you used as part of your recovery process. Well, I um, have what um, a, someone that I consider a healer, energy and a healer and pretty, um, pretty gifted. And um, I saw her through, I've seen her through dark periods, you know, dark nights of the soul, you know, so I, um, I do utilize her. I would say it's somatic in nature. I, um, you know, I've done therapy. I've done steps, uh, you know, uh, you know, I get out in nature. I meditate, I pray. Uh, I believe in, um, I believe in the transformative power of the, you know, of consciousness when you surrender fully to it, you know, and it's, it's again, just me getting out of the way. But um, is, that, is that what you were asking? Did that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just curious, you know, I always love hearing from people um, what helped them because similarly to you, I mean, part of what I'm doing with this podcast is, is educating people and, and wanting to give <clears throat> give them hope that you know if you are someone who struggles with an addiction or a mental health issue of some sort that you're not necessarily doomed to be a victim of that for the rest of your life that there are a ton of approaches and modalities and techniques and people that can support you in changing whatever it is that's led you to where you are you know that and, and the stuff that's not working so i'm always curious about people's healing journey and i think especially the spiritual which is the less often talked about aspect of healing well that, that you know is has been the biggest part of my experience i was fortunate enough early in sobriety um to um do an intensive with Siddha meditation yoga and um, had a spiritual experience there. And uh, my sister gifted me that intensive because she said I was right for it. Um, I had um, a transformative experience when um, a kid was shot in front of my apartment 
uh, a kid, 19 years old, or he was laying in the street and I was like barely sober, right? It was Mother's Day. And, um, you know, it was like, for some reason, I went to the kid that was totally a contrary action for me um, as he lay dying in the street. And I stayed with him to the police came. And, uh, you know, it was like, everything stopped, if you will, and became like, I was so in the moment, it was like curtains came down around me and him. And, you know, when the police got there, the police thought I was his mother until they figured it out. But that night when I, you know, and my, my son and I were living in transitional living, you know, and, um, you know, I was on welfare at the time, you know, and I could barely pay the bills. But that night I was stressing out and I wanted to drink so bad. I wanted something to take the edge off. I was like, I couldn't sleep. I was like on the verge of a panic attack when suddenly in the room came this light down from like the ceiling. It came through the ceiling and it, it entered my chest and it filled me with such peace. Like I had never felt, it gives me chills just to talk about it. It was like, filled me with an absolute sense of peace like I'd never felt before. And it was like, I knew everything is all right. Everything's always been all right and always would be all right. And it was like, then the light was gone. And I was like, you know, I fell asleep. I inevitably fell asleep, but I started like asking, what was that? What was that? I found out the next day the boy actually passed. And I didn't know if it was God or the boy that came to me to thank me for being there, you know, you know, because I was some child, some mother's child on Mother's Day, you know, and yes. so that really made me ripe, you know, getting out of myself and being there for another human being when I normally wouldn't have been changed my life. And so my life, it, you know, it was like 180 degree shift to like the self-centered kind of narrative that I had going on to how can I serve? How can I be of service? And I, I went to Agape, um, to classes there. I, you know, did meditation. So the, expanding my spiritual life has been just about the biggest and most important thing in the healing, you know? And with that is prayer, the, it just, you know, all the tools I can, I can use. Yeah. And I think that's such an important, uh, overlook often overlooked, you know, TJ talks about it in conscious recovery, which is how we met, um, how, how important it is to address the spiritual, I would say with any condition, not just addiction and recovery, but depression, anxiety, PTSD, trauma, there is going to be a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual component to any kind of issue that you're dealing with or that we therapists are dealing with in working with our clients. And too often that conversation or exploration of the spiritual side isn't happening. People think spirituality means religion. It, it must mean God. And, and it's so much more than all that. It's beyond just organized religion and certain philosophies and dogmas and this or that. It's much, much greater than that. But it's so important, I think, for us to explore that in the healing process as we work with clients. And I'm wondering, you know, do you do that in your work? I do. I mean, I, I think it depends on where I'm working. I do 
groups. I do um, creative expression groups, um, which, um, so I try to use meditation to start the group. Uh, it depends on, you know, I try to read the room. You know, one thing that I um, learned early on from growing up in that kind of environment is how to, you know, read the room. So, you know, I check in with clients, but I am um, a big advocate for like, you know, framing spirituality in a way that they can uh, assimilate it. You know, like some people, like if I say God, they're thinking, wait, are you talking about that man in the sky? You know, and it's mm -hmm. like, no, no, I'm not talking about that. You know, that was my, you know, when I went to Catholic school, kind of the vending machine, God in the sky, you know, and it's like, I'm so grateful that I found a practical, spiritual uh, higher power that works for me and that, that I can move with uh, throughout the day, you know, and, um, and share with people because I do think that therapists are afraid to go there. They're, you know, not all therapists, but a lot of them are afraid to go there, you know, and introduce mm -hmm. that topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. And then I think we're missing out on some really valuable information that way and valuable aspects to, to healing because, I mean, spirituality also encompasses your sense of meaning and purpose, kind of like your, your existential, like, why are you here? Or are you okay even being here? I mean, I work with a lot of folks who are pretty ambivalent, especially these days, about even wanting to be here embodied in in a body and to be able to explore that with them realistically, you know, what would it be like if you were here, if you weren't here, you know, what would be different? I, I think we should not fear those conversations. We should have those conversations because part of empowering people is to also let them know that they have some choice in their own life and their own death and, and, and whether they were going to choose to really live, be here and live or check out you know, like, addic like a, through addiction, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, if you can like frame it in a way, you know, like some people are, can, are open to hearing, you know, about energy, you know, about flow and following the flow, they, they're more open to that, but they, you know, and it's just, you kind of just start with where they're at, you know, mm -hmm. I find, um, and it's hard sometimes when you have a group of people and they're all different places, you know? So you have to kind of tread softly, you know, but, um, but the spiritual healing, you know, I mean, just like, you know, I didn't expect to have such uh, an incredible power, a sense of peace going to that. That was not my, in my, you know, my realm. It was not in my bandwidth, but, you know, the thing is, I, I think that recovery is expanding your bandwidth. I think that healing, you need to expand your bandwidth. I think that, and, I, and I've seen uh, a lot of people in 12-step community or other places have a narrow bandwidth. Well, this is the steps, this is how I did it. Um, you know, and they're, they're reacting to something and they put it under uh, the umbrella, everything under the umbrella of alcoholism. You know, I go, you know, and it's in that kind of vagueness, like, like, okay, no, this is, this is, I'm, this is my trauma, you know, this is a trauma response, 
you know, for me, it helps to kind of name it and get clarity around it so that I know, oh, this is codependency. No, this is not alcoholism, you know, but um, I mean, it, you know, I had that narrow band with when I first got sober, but it's like part of my responsibility is expanding it or it's, it's not, not even my responsibility, but my desire to expand my bandwidth, you know? Yes. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I, I think we need to keep doing our own work, right? Yeah. Yeah. And as therapists, you know, or counselors, you know, it's like, be, we need to stay just a few steps ahead. We don't have to be way ahead, but maybe just a few steps ahead of the clients that we're working with so that we can, you know, kind of be like, Hey, I got a, I got a flashlight. The, the road, you know, may seem dark and twisty and windy, but I got a flashlight and I'm here and we can travel this road together. Um, but in order to do that, I've got to be willing to look at my own shadow stuff. I got to shine that light internally first. Right. I do my work and, and I do see it as an ever expansive and especially energetically expansive process. And the more that I expand, the more my clients can expand, the more the world can expand because we are in a profoundly transformative time on this planet right now. <laughs> so this is, I mean, this is an important time on the planet. And I believe, um, and I believe that we, you know, are here uh, we've some, we've chosen to be here at this time. You know, if you're here, yeah. you know, it's like, how can I be of maximum service to the planet right now? What can I do? And it's like, can be overwhelming because there's so many things that, you know, the environment, you know, um, uh, crime, you know, just, it's just, there's so much, but it's like, I, you find something in your little corner of the world uh, that, you know, or you can help somebody, you know, whether it be your clients, whether it be a family member, it's like, uh, yeah, things are shifting and people are waking up and, you know, um, I, I believe it's um, a new paradigm, you know, and uh, sometimes it's discouraging when we see all the news and all of the, you know, the media and, but it's like, I, that's why I need reinforcement too. I need reinforcement. I listen to people that resonate for me, you know, uh, like-minded people that, that I need to hear them because I get snagged. I get snagged yeah. on things, on personalities or on work stuff, you know? And it's like, it's like, you know, I already know what um, holding resentment towards my mother and how that directed my life unconsciously. So I can't afford, uh, you know, to have these resentment. I get them, you know, but I, I recognize them. I'm aware of them. And I, I looks like, you know, how can I shift the energy here? You know, when I was going through one dark night of the soul, uh, just a really dark, dark period, I, um, you know, I didn't know what was going on with me. I was just, it was like, so it was like, a lot of trauma was unlodged. I was doing a lot of crying. And I knew intuitively that I needed to lift my vibration, my energy. So I started Zumba dancing, you know, and I would mm -hmm. do Zumba. I had a great instructor. He was, he would always smile. He was, he would just love teaching everybody how to dance. And we'd be in there dancing every week. And I'd go up to him afterwards. I go, you know, you're my antidepressant. 
you are my antidepressant because I couldn't walk out of that class not feeling better, you know, not feeling, I, it would lift me, you know? So yeah. I have to take responsibility for lifting that. And like I said earlier, expanding my bandwidth some, and, you know, going into nature helps me. I know what works for me, you know, but yeah. I didn't yeah. always know. No, and that's why sometimes when I work with clients um, in recovery, I actually refer to it more as a process of discovery, because in many ways it is that, like, what else can I discover for myself about myself, you know, with the internal, you know, process of inquiry, but also what can I discover about the world and the activities and the things that actually bring me joy that maybe I never knew brought me joy before. So encouraging clients to experiment with, you know, activities, hobbies, groups, um, you do creative expression. So like, you know, any type of artistic um, music, dance, writing, art, whatever that entails, right? All of that can be part of that expansion and that discovery of self and other in the world. Yeah, I think that all of that is so important. All those like different things that you mentioned. And um, again, in this book, Body Work, she talks about um, taking secrets. She says all of her art, all of her art started from a secret and to transform you know, that secret into art and give it new meaning is changing the narrative, you know? And it's like, um, you know, and, and, you know, and that can come through watercolor. It can come through all types of mediums. It doesn't, journaling, you know, I did the artist's way, which was, it was mm -hmm. so powerful. Um, writing, it was like, it just emptied, you know, so much space in my head. Um, it felt like I was, had been, moving furniture around the room in you know for so long that by writing was like clearing it out let's just let's just like do a home edit here <laughs> have, have you seen that show home edit it's um, i have not no <laughs> it's it's uh, a show where they clear out stuff so you know that's what i that's what um you know i um i writing for me does it clears it out stuff in my head yeah that's wonderful um what a gift you know that you are being with the world and your clients and and the people that read your book and all of that um Wendy if people want to find out more about you and your work where can they go uh so my I have a website wendyadamson.com I have my articles and um podcast uh listed there and um my books are both on Amazon, Mother Load, it's um, L-O-A-D by Wendy Adamson and Incorrigible. And I am just finishing up um, my third book that we, I did with my son, Ricky, uh, about his nonprofit, which um, we just finished the first draft and it's being read right now. So I'm excited for that. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story and your experiences. Well, thank you for having me. It was great talking to you. Yeah. Any final thoughts for our audience or anything you want to leave us with? Um, 
No, I just, you know, encourage people to try writing, you know, try to stay open and, and remember that, you know, you will hit like blocks and walls, but just try to push on, push through. And it's very surprising. You know, you'll hit that point where you just like the lights go on and it's like, why haven't I been doing this sooner? You know, and well, that's what happened for me is, I mean, writing isn't for everybody, but I encourage you to give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. Experiment, try new things. That's all part of it. It's why we're here, I think, is to be here, live life, try things, experience things. Sometimes you might fall flat on your face. Sometimes you'll soar like a bird, right? What if, what if we could embrace all of it? <laughs> Thanks again, Wendy. Thank, Thank you, you, listeners and viewers. If you like this podcast, please do share, comment, like, um, pass it on to people who might be interested in this because my whole purpose in doing this podcast is to let people know there are many, many roads to healing. If you have if or know somebody who has a mental health diagnosis or an addiction or something that they're dealing with, there are many, many, many tools and approaches and techniques and people who can support you in that journey. So tune in next time. And uh, thanks again for being with us. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.